Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. It's Halloween, Connor. Ooh, this is a spooky, spooky episode of, course, of Too Many. How do you make a legal podcast spooky? We should have recorded a spooky episode I know, last talk about week. the Trump appointees. Ah, Ooh, I'm, I'm scared now. I'm but everybody, cool. I'm sure, will be remembering their spooky experiences that they just had last week when they listen to this next week, because that's how podcasts work chronologically. Yeah. So, in other words, we're going to inflict post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> right, absolutely. Where you have flashbacks and you relive the horrific scary weekend. Hopefully it'll be a fun weekend for everybody. Although Devil's Day used to be a thing. I remember when I was a teenager, or maybe in my 20s, in Detroit, people would set fires. Lots and lots of fires on Halloween. And it was a big problem. Then it spread, you know, copycat. Of course, Duluth has to imitate Detroit. Absolutely. And then Topeka, Kansas. And I mean, they really were burning down businesses and people were getting hurt and killed and so on. So I I don't hear about that so much. This is not a millennial. uh, It's not on the millennial radar screen. No. Burning uh, down the society on Halloween. uh, No, we burn down the society for other reasons. Uh, A bunch of pinko commie nonsense. Uh, You know, Halloween's just not that exciting. It's a little bit like these... um, these science fiction uh, stories, or uh, maybe it isn't science fiction so much, it's just very weird, scary stories about a future where everybody's allowed to commit uh, all the crimes they want one day a year. So people run around murder and, and raping everybody. The one Purge. Day a year. I don't yeah. know if you've, you've, so you're, it's, you're it's, familiar it's with it. It's a very yeah. famous uh, you know, horror franchise called The, the Purge. Yeah. So maybe it's very the, popular. Maybe the idea that, oh, we can get away with burning down anything we want because it's Halloween. Maybe yeah. that's a variation on that awful fictional concept. Maybe, yeah. It should be scrubbed from everyone's brain. You know, it's... Uh, it's not like I know best. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very popular uh, franchise, and it is perfect for the spooktacular week of, of Halloween on which we are uh, recording this pod. Is that a um, word, spooktacular? Oh, absolutely. Is that a uh, word, Halloween? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's a good it's a good uh, premise for a horror movie, and it actually kind of takes into it brings in this this cool a bunch of cool ideas that you can make movies around, and they they've done a bunch of purge movies now. And while it's a dumb concept on one level, it actually creates interesting storylines where you know. Who's the real monsters? It's us. It's, you know, it's everyday random people who, when empowered by our systems of laws and structures to say, well, yeah, this silly system's been around like the lottery, everybody's favorite short story that they read, uh, you know, in, in junior high or whatever. Right. Um, these systems, the, our laws have been around for a really long time. Therefore, they must be good. They must be okay. They must serve a purpose. They must be positive. Uh, and therefore, uh, we random individuals empowered by the existence of unjust laws run around and do the, the wrong thing, do bad things. Also, uh, it's all about you know, inequality. This this notion, the, the Purge franchise is about, well, every one day a year, there are no laws. So people, anybody, everybody gets to do whatever they want. Well, guess what? All the rich people prepare 
to hunt other people for sport because they are effectively exempt right. in a in an uh, in an equal world where you you take away legal protections turns out rich people run everything and uh kill everyone else no, like right. cattle you're right now some people might say well there's connor he's on his high horse once again <laughs> about income inequality and all this <laughs> stuff but but the fact is you're right these are sort of eternal themes right because when people talk about income inequality and the haves and the have-nots and saying, so, you know, what should the tax rates be and so on, what they're really doing is alluding to the, the grand sweep of human history. Right. And throughout all of the millennia, every single moment you could look at, at the timeline of humanity, you have seen a continuum of, of people. Some people are rich and some people are poor and mm-hmm. a lot of people are in the middle. It's true. Some people are really good at sports and some people are really terrible at sports. Right. Some people are good at you know, communicating with other folks. They may not be the highest IQ, but they're charismatic and they can sell more insurance. I feel seen, but okay. Yeah. So you can, you can spot this concept. And in the olden days, thousands of years ago, the poor folks would just get tired of looking at Wilbur sitting up on the on the hill, right. you know, watching Wilbur. television. Rich Wilbur, yeah, yeah. in three thousand BC, mm-hmm. and they don't have a TV, so they just killed him yeah. and took all his stuff. Right, and we've seen variations of this over and over. And you see some people who have stuff now argue not not in public so much, but right. they will say, "Look, well, we've got to share. We've got to have these welfare programs because they're going to come kill Wilbur up on the hill." Right. So it's the same concept over and over yeah. so so you're you're right it's not that you're obsessed you're yeah, just observing no, eternal themes and I, you know i'm open-minded whether those uh, rich wilbur's up on the hill want to share uh, for their own self-preservation to avoid the uh, the the chop whether they don't just they yeah. don't want to get guillotined or whether they do want to do it because it's the right thing to do and it makes the world a better place either way I, i'm i'm fine you know, with I either motivation I, I have an idea it's kind of a practical concept why don't we just take uh, all the lawyers in the right. country who by and large are, are you know really comfortable financially right, 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 right. Right. And take you know, like fifty percent of their wealth and their income every year, and give it to the neediest, the people who really need I'm the in. most help. I love it. Are you truly in? I'm in. Call um, up Tom Girardi and uh, see what he says. Bill, would you get the lie detector machine here? Because I'd like to <laughs> strap Connor into the <laughs> lie detector machine. Well, if that's how you feel, yeah. I'm I'm happy yeah, to hear yeah, it. Yeah. So, as usual, we have three topics we want to get to. Well, number one, is it okay for the government? To tell private companies who should be on boards of directors. Mm. Number two, uh, tomorrow, November 1, by the time you hear this podcast, you will have uh, been able to read the tea leaves about the Supreme Court's abortion hearing on the big Texas law situation. And the, the point we want to talk about is don't expect the November 1 hearing to resolve the future of Roe versus Wade. You right. might get some interesting tea leaves, but I uh, wouldn't bet on it. And third and finally, is libel law about to be changed in a dramatic way? So those are the three big topics we'll get to. But I have three little topics where I don't have to actually be as uh, profound and, and, and deep. I can be very <laughs> superficial because these are uh, these are just mini topics. Mini topics. Uh, are you ready for number one? Extremely. There was a doctor who was fined for sleeping through the surgery. Yes, I saw that. Was that was scheduled. You saw. OK, saw so he's a long time, long time head of spinal surgery at Boston Medical Center. His name is Dr. Tony Tanuri. He's been fined five thousand dollars for leaving before the emergency surgery he was about to perform. What did he do? Did he go down to the local cinema and watch Taxi Driver? No. He went to his car to have a sandwich and he fell asleep in the car and he missed the whole damn surgery. Mm-hmm. So, find 5000 bucks plus all sorts of public ridicule. Right. Too harsh? Uh, here's my theory, Connor. I call it a win-win. Mm-hmm. He got a nap. 
the patient did not get operated on by a sleep deprived guy. That's Isn't true. that a win win deal? Why take like $5,000 from him? Yeah. His fine was by the, the medical board or whatever uh, who decided that he had engaged in conduct unbecoming of a profession that makes, that lowers public confidence in the profession. Yeah. And the idea that you would. Uh, Go sleep through a an important emergency spine surgery and have the spine surgery have to be performed by the you chief know, resident. And a, important, I think, is redundant. Anything important emergency. Surgery, yeah, you're right. Some, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, you're right. The problem is the reality is that we work uh, doctors way, 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 way too hard. Very frequently, we have a, a medical system that is built on a bunch of people like the legal profession and a lot of other professions where people will openly say things like, well, it's, you know, it was even harder when I was a, a medical student coming up mm-hmm. and you got to get this sort of tough love and learning and intense right. rigor and, and uh, 20 hour shifts or, or, or 36 hour shifts or whatever. And and there's this attitude of trial by fire. But these aren't, you know, these aren't tested procedures. These aren't the, the, the idea that we have the vague notion uh, that, oh, well, Accidents happen during patient changeover, and therefore having fewer patient changeovers is good. Having 36-hour shifts is is a net positive. There's not enough study to show that that is actually correct, because a guy who's been up for 36 hours is absolutely going to make more mistakes than a fresh guy coming in, seeing the chart for the first time. I mean, these these concepts in, in, in medicine are often very antiquated. It's possible that this guy was kind of the victim of that kind of medical, uh, intense medical culture. On the other hand, he's like the head of surgery. And it is silly to say that people who are in managerial positions are also and exclusively really like labor, people who need protection. When you're like the head of spine surgery at whatever hospital this guy is at, you are also the guy calling the shots. You're the one making the decisions. And it is up to you to make sure that your surgeons are exhausted, including yourself. Yeah. So yeah, and the patient and the patients blame. are clueless. I mean, for example, if you were going to go and have a really tricky root canal, would you want your endodontist to be dead on his feet <laughs> figuratively? Uh, I don't think so. No. If you had the Hope Diamond and it was really important to you that it be cut just the right way, right. would you want a guy who was like, you know, sleepy from the Seven Dwarfs? No. And what about if you needed a bris performed, you know, if the circumcision was, I frequently do. Wouldn't you want... You don't want a guy dead on his feet. No, you don't. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I've had this conversation in various ways for a long time. My, my dad, your grandfather... Uh, was a physician who was an intern at Cook County in Chicago in the early 30s. Mm. And he, you know, the stories were just as you can imagine, that people are forced to work inhumane hours. And they're working on people's health and and, life and death decisions. And when I've talked to surgeons in recent years, you know, mentioning I'd heard this family lore story, uh, some of their attitudes is, you know... That's how you separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. You've got to put uh, these interns through the rigors because right. it's it's a tough profession, and yep. you've got to make sure that. And you think, well, I, I hear you. On the other hand, how many dead bodies on the street do you want along up. the way yeah. to make sure your interns are going to be really you know, gung ho when they become real doctors? Yeah, so it's it's very Wild. scary. All right, um, topic number two, mini topic number two, the uh, undocumented. 
apparently have some safe spaces now here oh, in the United States. That's good. Hospitals, grocery stores. President uh, Joe Biden's top Homeland Security official has ordered immigration officers not to arrest undocumented folks at several places, food banks and shelters and grocery stores and hospitals. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas detailed the safe spaces for these folks in a memo to ICE. The sensitive locations, also including churches and, and schools, they are now referred to as protected areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he added uh, social service establishments like homeless shelters and so on, uh, playgrounds, uh, child care centers, school bus stops and so on. So uh, it's an interesting idea, and I, I, I can see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just have a suggestion. Yeah. Could we add as a little corollary, right. a little asterisk? Right. Okay, folks, we're giving you these safe spaces. Um you have to take the shot when you cross the border. Mm. You have to take the freaking vaccination mm. before you go into the general population. We got and that's the condition. Yeah. Then we won't bother you in the right. school and the church. And the... Why is it Biden doesn't insist, like he insists for everybody who works for a company with 100 or more employees and everybody who works for the federal government, you must get the mandate, which I get the importance of. And yet, specifically, his administration said, no, we're not requiring folks who cross the border in an undocumented state. We're not requiring that they get the shot before they then go into the general population. Wouldn't that save lives? Vaccine mandates would save lives. Absolutely. The question is whether Joe Biden thinks he can get away with politically uh, vaccine mandates for any segment of the population uh, that living in this country has been pretty bold, documented, (laughs) undocumented, uh, you know, People who work for the federal government, people who work for private uh, companies that work for the federal the government, people who work have for less, Walmart, less bargaining power than you know the federal employee right. But there's union. a massively smaller number of the undocumented uh, than uh, he's working on it. Then he's working on it. He he's detained a, a record-setting number of people at this at the Mexico border. So he's hardly uh, only after Fox called it a crisis. Yeah, the the idea that 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 Biden is like somehow has an open border policy is this persistent right wing myth when, in fact, he's ramped up detentions at the southern border. And, you know, even even compared to Trump, he, he detained more people who are trying to cross the border. I mean, it, it, he's not like some sort of open borders, progressive, you know, post national wacko progressive. I guess there's a gen- generic misapprehension in yeah. society. And, and really, when you think about it. A, you can we can think about you know conditioning acceptance of social social services on public health measures, sure. But the idea of conditioning public health measures or social services on anything is a problem because we want every child in America, documented and undocumented, to have access to a food bank. Every adult in America, documented and undocumented, to have access to health care. And for lots of public health reasons, not just for individuals, you know, it's the right thing to do to help individuals, Mm -hmm. but it makes the society healthier and happier and better if they have access to this. And so if you put anything in the way of access to social services, which I personally believe should be massively expanded even more for the good of everyone, but even if you don't expand them even more, removing barriers to them is good. Putting barriers up in any way between poor disadvantaged people and the social services that can help them improve their lot in and our society generally, I think is a bad idea. And so while I would support vaccine mandates universally, I think imposing them specifically exclusively on people who have difficult times 
accessing services already can only make the situation worse. Mm, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree there. I think maybe that's the whole point of the pod. I guess if, you know, I I can see how, you know, you don't want to be uh, cruel. And if somebody needs hospitalization and so on and they're they're here uh, in an undocumented state, maybe, though, maybe just to tweak the rules, maybe Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. make sure they don't actually have the ability to roam free in the nation uh instead when they show up at the border you figure out you know is is that the posse two miles behind you and they're going to kill you if we don't uh, help you instead just make sure people you know are not allowed to enter well you're right this is the nation this is this is uh something that's coming came up also this week specifically the remain in mexico policy that trump put into place Mm -hmm. that uh you know President Biden would like to uh, end. They have tried to end, but they failed to end. President Biden is currently still enforcing Trump's remain in Mexico policy. So he is turning people away at the border. He is saying, look, I don't care if the posse is behind you. Uh, Go hang out in Mexico while we figure out and you wait for a hearing to determine whether there's a posse behind you. There are very few people coming across the southern border legally or illegally or through the uh, the the uh, the asylum program. And Biden would like to change that. But he's not just doing it by fiat. He is trying to go through legal challenges to the Trump uh, Trump's rule, which a lot of progressives think is basically, uh, you know, paying lip service to the idea of getting rid of this policy, but putting it into the overwhelmingly stacked against him federal conservative federal judiciary and then being able to throw up Biden, being able to throw up his hands and go, look, I tried to stop the policy. I'm so sorry that I had to keep enforcing Trump's incredibly restrictive southern uh, border uh, enforcement policy. But what are you going to do? The judges won't let me do it. You're the president. Speaking of Trump. When we come back, we are going to address our third mini topic and our first big real topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first uh, in the mini topic is about Donald Trump and his Can't amazing wait. comment about the January 6th riots. Uh-huh. Uh, but before we go, briefly, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. For most of you numerically, that's probably Apple Podcasts. So check us out on Apple Podcasts. There's a button on that a service called join and make sure you hit the join button if you haven't already downloading us one episode at a time every week is fine but we really appreciate people who click the join or like or subscribe or whatever your platform uses button and also we love comments we like to read them we appreciate them make us feel warm and fuzzy inside that's why we do this Uh, so please leave us a comment as well we'll be right back This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Ron Lopes. And I'm Connor Oaks. So now, Connor, we really know what Donald Trump thought of January 6th. He may have been kind of dancing around oh, the yeah. issue before. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see Donald Trump dance around things. Uh, he made a statement. I guess he's still off of Twitter, but somehow they, they circumvent the system and one of his pals publishes some comment. So here's the statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America on October 21, 2021. Quote, the insurrection took place on November 3, election day. January 6 was the protest. So that's the Trump position. Wow. The insurrection wasn't when there was a riot and people died. The insurrection was when we had the election. Wow. That was then tested in court and about 60 judges of all stripes, Republican, Democrat, in between. I'm not sure who's in between. Who's in between a Republican and Democrat? I guess an independent? Ralph. A, a Rosicrucian. There's a no, Rosicrucian yeah, 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 yeah. group. Anyway. I mean, isn't this kind of clear that Donald Trump is saying, you know, it wasn't so bad what happened on January oh, yeah. 6th? I mean, For sure. How can he do that when... I mean, that's the whole conservative yeah, narrative. I, I know a hardcore that they're uh, segment of his base yeah. think, well, you know, it was no big deal. Yeah. But it was a violation of law. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. died. Yeah. It was a riot. Right. It was a mob. Right. 
And you remember, I think it was Kevin McCarthy, the head of the Republicans in the House, made some comment to Trump on January 6th about, you know, people are really, it's really got, getting out of hand, it's violent, and so, so on. And Trump's response to him was, well, I guess those folks were more unhappy about the election than you, Kevin. Right. So uh, apparently this is not hurting him because, you know, in the public opinion polls, he still has enormous support. I mean, his his, par- uh, str- his strongest supporters, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Representative Mo Brooks, are currently under investigation for their role in specifically planning this insurrection and it, it going exactly as according to plan, other than uh, the progressives who were the target of this these mobs attacks were not actually you know, found, discovered, dragged out and uh, and and uh, uh, harassed or killed. Um, these people are now like Mo Brooks. Uh, his public statement was said he, he, he denied a planning role in the, ju- the January 6th rally. But he said, you know, I'd be proud, quote, proud if my staff had been involved in planning this. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, you see the photos of people like uh, MTG and 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 others who have, were you know, reportedly, allegedly engaged in uh, multiple meetings and their staff were engaged in meetings planning these uh, th- this attack on the Capitol. And during the attack, they're saying they're smiling, serene. There's a mob of angry people outside who are trying to come inside and, and, and kill lawmakers uh, and they, they're not worried. Why, why aren't they worried? They're, wor- they're not worried because it's not because they have a lot of confidence in the Capitol Police. It's because they're not actually worried about these people hurting them. Their only uh, c- uh, thought is that, you know, maybe they'd come in and hurt some progressive uh, lawmakers. And that's the horrifying, terrifying reality of this yeah, situation that- is that Trump knows on which side his bread is buttered. His did, biggest supporters are all people who orchestrated the January 6th insurrection. Did I hear you say MTG? Is that a thing? MTG is, is, she is referred Marjorie to Taylor Taylor just like yes, AOC? Absolutely. So there's mm-hmm. MTG and That's AOC. Their, their it's like Elvis yeah. and Barbara, right? Yeah. Or Cher. Yeah. They have reached that iconic status. What if they had a charity a wrestling match, AOC versus MTG, mm-hmm. and they devote half of the proceeds, one quarter of the proceeds to each of their two charities mm-hmm. and one quarter of the proceeds to each of their two political parties. Yeah. So it would be a win-win. Everybody wins. Yeah. Made for TV event. Yeah. Would you watch? I would say that uh, my, my advice uh, to uh, the, the uh, respectable lawmakers who still have some dignity left uh, to them um, in, in our, our, our formerly stately state houses and, and now, uh, you know, much based, uh, debased and, and reduced um, would be not to mud wrestle with a pig because the pig likes it and you'll just get muddy. So you mentioned uh, that most of Trump supporters are, uh, you know, bomb throwing maniacal felons. Uh, uh, 98.7% of them. He did get, what's, I think Biden won like 75 million votes and Trump had 65 million, something okay, like, so something like that. Okay, so 97.8%. Of the 65 million people who voted right. for Trump, um, are, you think a, a large percentage of them were actually at the Capitol that day on January I'd say, 6th? I'd say 90, 96% of his supporters were at the Capitol. Okay. When I say Trump supporters, I meant legislatively, you know, the, oh, okay. the MTG and the Mo Brooks and the other Kevin McCarthy's and the other wackos uh, in the Republican Party who supported Trump's candidacy and his presidency and will soon support his reelection. Of course, uh, those people are his supporters. But you're right. The voters out there, uh, I think there are fewer proportionally wackos among his voters. But I mean, at this point, uh, we, we all see who Trump is. And if you're still Trump flying a Trump flag or wearing a, a Trump T-shirt, you're a wacko. Should we be calling Lee Harvey Oswald LHO? Yes, because that's a really good idea. I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody say that. All right. Uh, let's talk about whether 
The government should tell private companies that they have to pick certain folks for their boards of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, California uh, law in 2018, I think it was the first in the nation, uh, said corporations have to have women on their boards. At least two women if the board has five people. If the board of directors has six or more members, you've got to have at least three women. Right. And then uh, a couple of years later, Governor Newsom signed another bill saying you have to add people of color and LGBT people on boards. So we have about 660 corporations headquartered in California. They have mm-hmm. to have at least one board member from an unrepresented community. Uh, you must have at least two uh, by the end of 2022, uh, so we're talking about Black, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander, Native American, uh, LGBT, bisexual, transgender. So these are the new rules in California. Um, a shareholder in one of these companies saying that this is wrong, uh, this is uh, illegal uh, discrimination based on gender. And so he files it in federal court and the, the judge, the, the district court trial judge dismissed the case saying you weren't injured, pal. You're a shareholder, but you weren't really injured. So you don't have standing. So, boom, your suit's right. gone. Shocker. Ninth Circuit reversed. Mm. The famously liberal Ninth Circuit said, mm-hmm. no, he did have standing because shareholders elect directors. And right. so uh, we're going to allow the case to go forward. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it will succeed. It just means it's back in court. So, right. really, what is the basis of the government's right? to dictate the makeup of boards of private companies. Don't you think it should be hands-off? And what business is it of Governor Newsom if General Electric, you know, has a diverse board of directors what as business, a private company? What business is it of Governor Newsom if General Electric chooses not to hire black people or women at all? It's the same. It's the same exact justification. It's the idea that is there a difference between discrimination against somebody saying, "Oh, he's up for the, the candidacy," and we're going to say no, as opposed to establishing a quota. There is, of course, a difference between intentional, purposeful, out loud discrimination against a certain group or subgroup, where you say none or fewer or whatever of that subgroup because of whatever out you know spoken you know enunciated specifically uh laid out reason you could say well i personally think that women are not as good on boards of directors and therefore i will hire fewer or none of them but if you don't say that and you instead just don't hire any women or hire fewer women for your board of director but you don't explain why you're doing it mm-hmm. or you Don't even know why you're doing it because it's simply a manifestation of, for example, sexism in the business world. And you don't have a specific policy. You don't wear a patch on your on your uh, your business suit uh, that explains that you're sponsored by sexism today. But it still manifests itself that way. You know, it's not like there are fewer uh, than, you know, 50 percent of of women in the business world out there trying to get jobs and succeed and be on boards of directors and steer the directions of companies. It's that they get those opportunities more infrequently. Right. So Mm -hmm. whether it's the manifestation of intentional specific sexism or simply the outcome of the system, the outcome is the same. There are fewer women on boards of directors than there should be numerically. And so when we look at that, whether you know you, Governor Newsom can peer into the minds of specific ra- racists or sexists or or transphobes or, or or homophobes or whatever and say, oh yes, you have this bias, you have this homophobia, whether he can do that and identify that, or whether anyone can do that and identify it, is not really the point. The point is, 
do we want a world where women have a chance to be on boards of directors? If yes. A How do you accomplish that? If a corporation um, <clears throat> is run by some very progressive folks who are very interested in social justice, right. and they specifically say, we don't really want any white people on our board, mm-hmm. and so they don't. They, mm-hmm. they turn folks down. Would right. that is that illegal? So should it be? It, it is illegal, but the, specifically the idea of can can there exist this notion of of, of reverse racism? Well, one can certainly be prejudiced against people of any stripe, uh, of any type, of any gender, of any anything, of any background. That certainly is true. There are people out there who hate cis, white, straight, you know, men. Okay, sure. I don't like the idea that there's somebody out there that hates me, but. I, I recognize that it's real. Whether it's um, a manifestation of racism or sexism, that actually— Well, if it is racism, do you think it, the government should say, no, you can't do that? you well, got to have a white person on the board if he's qualified? Well, that's that gets into a really complicated issue. It, it, it's not coming up. It's not going to come up because— uh, we, there are so few, uh, you know, of these situations out there that it, it's it's a, it's a, just a hypothetical. Fortunately, that we have to worry about this, but um, uh, we, as white cis, you know, hetero men, have to worry about this. It's not an issue, really. But in 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 reality, if it didn't, if it did actually happen in reality, we would have to. But whether we said it was okay or not, we'd have to examine whether. There is really any sort of systematic pattern of uh, a disadvantaging white cis hetero men, and then that the, whether the system disadvantages this group and underrepresents that group and keeps their that the society keeps it, its boot on that group's uh, neck, that is racism. Whether the system hurts that group, generally big picture, that's called racism. That's called sexism. And then if there are specific instances of say. If we think thought about like South Africa during the Boer Wars and and the revolution afterwards, like you've got uh, you've got rich white people who go into a country and they have own all the land and they have all the power and they control the military, they control the government and they have an apartheid state in South Africa. And then if somebody in South Africa just shakes their fist and says, ah, I hate white people who've come into this country and, and done uh, X, Y, Z and are currently enforcing apartheid. And then the white people look down from the top of their 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 mansions and their thrones uh, and their economic powerhouses and they say, ah, oh, that's anti-white racism. No, it's not. You can't be racist they against- they got rid of thrones. I don't <laughs> think we have those any longer. You can't be racist against the king, right? Like if the, if the medieval king is ruling over the peasants and the peasants are shaking Shaking their fist at the king and saying, ah, I hate kings. The king can't say, ah, that's anti, uh, anti-monarch discrimination. And I, I, I think that's racist. You're, you're the real bad guy. Racism in a, is a manifestation of power. And if there's no power uh, to be, you can't be racist against people who have all the power. You can't, like, you can be prejudiced against them. Individually, you can prejudge them. You can dislike them. But it's not racism or sexism. So to answer your question in the world's most long-winded way, <laughs> because there's no danger of cis white hetero men being discriminated against, which is one, and there is no danger of that, but that's why conservative media is so concerned with like, oh, what, what if we gin up the notion of, of reverse racism? Then there will be, because they understand this, there will be a foundation for us to complain if only we could establish that cis white hetero men are prejudiced, uh, you know, discriminated against. There's no actual way to do that. You can have individual prejudice against somebody, but frankly, who cares? So um, let's follow the rabbit hole of this, the Ninth Circuit lawsuit. Oh, I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that the Ninth Circuit uh, reversed 
uh, the trial judge in the Ninth Circuit said, oh, this shareholder is a corporation complaining yeah. about, you know, you have to have women and people of color on the on the board. Uh, that person may sue. They have standing. Yep. So what happens then? It gets sent back to the trial court judge. The trial court judge is then asked by the, the plaintiff who's objecting to this this rule of having people on boards. Uh, the, the plaintiff says, Your Honor, uh, nice to see you again. Yeah. We're, we're back. I, I, Sorry for getting you reversed. Yeah, embarrassing you. Sort of not so good for your record. <laughs> so, uh, Your Honor, please issue an injunction right. uh, pending this out, the outcome of this lawsuit to put this law on the shelf because we think it's a bad law. Yeah. Now, when you ask for an injunction, one of the things that the judge thinks about is whether or not you are likely to win down the road. Sure. And if uh, uh, that is true in the judge's mind and a few other things are true, then the injunction will be issued. Well, here the judge said, uh, no, I, uh, this suit is unlikely to succeed, and therefore mm-hmm. I am not going to issue an injunction. Yeah, you got to weigh those things. You got to say, what are the chances? If it's a million to one that you succeed, right. then I'm less likely to issue the injunction in the meantime. The other factors, things like, are you going to suffer irreparable harm in the meantime if I don't issue an injunction? Those are also going to the calculus. Right. But there, it's all about percentages. The judge has to make a judgment call. We put a lot of power in the hands of these judges one, when they make these decisions. One weird thing is that is after the judge said, no, it's unlikely to succeed, he then said, but I'm still thinking about whether the law is unconstitutional, forcing uh, companies to have women on boards. So to me, that's a little weird. On the one hand, he says, uh, you know, it's not going to win. And yet he admits he's still thinking it's still a question, about yeah. whether it's unconstitutional. Yeah. He also had he's some additional. thinking about a one percenter, a point one percenter. He's, he's thinking some, about it. He had some additional nutty comments. So by the way, this is Judge Mendez up in Sacramento, a federal okay. judge. He said, quote, why is it in the public interest to let an out-of-state shareholder who holds 65 shares in an 18 million share company to stop a law that no corporation objects to, no corporation is challenging and is working? That was what the judge asked. Hmm, well, first like of all, made up his mind a little bit. There. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, number one, does the number of shares that this person owns really matter if he's right? I mean, if he owned ninety percent of the shares, would this judge pay more attention to him? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't see why it should matter. Something's either wrong or it isn't. Secondly, does the fact that no company. No corporation is objecting or suing. Does that mean that the law is legal or does it mean that they don't have the balls to sue? They Mm -hmm. don't want to offend 51 percent of the customer base. Right. That's how many women folk we have. Sure. And trigger a boycott. And finally, he said, well, the law is working. Oh, that's nice. I mean, the trains worked really well in Mussolini's Italy, <laughs> you know, and the electric chairs are working in in Texas just great. Yes, so it's working. Is that an argument against capital punishment? No, the, I got it here in Austin. The electric chairs work. <laughs> That's so a good is metaphor. this judge like an that. idiot? Yeah, I, mean, I think he's, these these comments are certainly uh, not wise. I think he, he's he's sort of inviting criticism of exactly the type that you're levying against him for having made up his mind already and not really having the the basis. This is this is why, uh, you know, I would give uh, the the same advice uh, to to most judges. Uh, Look at Clarence Thomas. Less is more. Don't say a thing if you can get away with it. There's no reason to open your mouth uh, and open yourself up to criticism. Of course, Clarence has now changed his tune. Now he talks all the time. But he has a, a, a classic a career of, of, of mums the, mums the word. So speaking of Clarence Thomas, we're going to talk about him a little bit in connection with abortion. Uh, when we come back, this is Too Many Lawyers.
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm still Connor Oaks. So the abortion issue is on the docket. So today, as we mentioned, Connor, is Halloween yeah, Sunday. But that means tomorrow, Monday, there is a hearing in the United States Supreme Court on abortion. But mm-hmm. don't expect the hearing in that case to decide the future of Roe versus Wade. It has to do with the Texas law is that we've been talking about and everybody's been talking about the last few weeks. The Texas law weaponizes lawsuits. It says, hey, anybody on the planet who gets wind of the fact that a doctor is performing an abortion after 15 weeks into pregnancy uh, or somebody is helping a woman like an Uber driver, those folks who are helping, not the women themselves, but the people who are helping, the doctor, the Uber driver, may be sued by anybody and there's a bounty thousands of dollars and so on so everybody is up in arms about this lawsuits are flying back and forth and the u.s supreme court has decided to address the issues related to this texas law but these issues are not should we overturn roe versus wade here's the first issue may a court shut down a law that allows a person to sue when a person is simply exercising their constitutional right, whether that right is let's have an abortion, let's speak freely, let's own a gun. Theoretically, you know, if this Texas let's weaponize lawsuits approach spreads to other states, any state that wants to could say, hey, we don't like it when people own guns. We don't like it when people exercise their right to free speech. So we're going to let anybody on the planet sue a member of our state who's trying to simply exercise their constitutional right. right. So the court has to decide whether that is OK as a concept. The second issue before the court is may the federal government or an abortion provider, these are the two folks who are suing to challenge the Texas law, may the federal government or an abortion provider challenge this law by suing officials that are generally charged with enforcing state laws when this clever law in Texas specifically says, oh, no, the governor, the sheriff, nobody is to enforce this law. Instead, the law simply creates a right for citizens to sue people involved in providing abortions after, uh, after a certain number of weeks. So I you think people are going to be kind of disappointed, Connor, if they expect that Roe versus Wade will be resolved one way or the other as a result of the Texas fights? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, first of all, we could resolve Roe v. Wade one way or another. And, on December, and in December, there's going to be an oral argument on the Mississippi law right. that really does get to the heart of whether Roe yes. versus Wade should be overturned. Right. And at that point, um, we may see some fireworks. But at this point, we know that the Democrats could enshrine Roe v. Wade and therefore the right to an abortion in federal law by passing a law through the legislature right now today. They have majorities in both houses. They could do it. The Republicans, of course, can filibuster them. The Democrats could simply do away with the filibuster. They aren't going to do that because they don't actually care, because they really would love to keep uh, working the you know pro-choice issue piecemeal, uh, state by state, and running on this platform, not open themselves up to looking like uh, you know they're taking advantage somehow. And of the Democrats may the be seeing a June 2022 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court right. that possibly overturns Roe versus Wade as the only way to avoid a midterm disaster in right. November 2022. Yeah, it, it absolutely could be the case, and it, it is it is tragic that the Democrats are so short-sighted that they care so much about one midterm election uh, upcoming. And then maybe they also care about the implications for the 2024 presidential election. And they think that 
holding on to power is the only thing that matters. Well, guess what, guys? As you can see uh, from Biden's attempt to pass the infrastructure bill, uh, you're completely inept. You can't actually get anything done. You can't actually affect the changes that you promise. So what's exactly the point of you? What is exactly the point of having democratic, universal democratic control of the House of Reps and Congress and the presidency if you won't actually do anything with it? So I think that the Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot here because I think it's another example of them basically doing nothing and failing to accomplish any of the promises that they put out there when they run. And then the next time saying vote blue no matter who uh, you really have to keep us in power. Isn't the other side scary? We're going to be fighting for you while they meanwhile don't actually fight for us. Let me issue a little correction. I think I screwed up on the number of weeks when I spoke earlier. And let me kind of lay out the numbers. Uh, Pregnancy is usually about 40 weeks. The current Roe versus Wade law says basically it's tied to fetal viability. And essentially the medical science view is 24 weeks into a 40 week pregnancy. That's when a fetus is viable. And so in general, states are free to permit abortions up till 24 weeks into the 40 week pregnancy. Now, the Mississippi law says that after 15 weeks, you may not have an abortion. That's coming up in December. Right. The Texas law, I believe, said no abortions after six weeks because we think cardiac activity, uh, a so-called heartbeat. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a debate as to whether there's really a, there are heart chambers at six weeks. Yeah. Uh, and so th- those are the issues. So what we're looking at in terms of possible rulings down the road is, number one, this court could strike down the Mississippi law for example, as violative of Roe, which, of course, it is. Right. Second option, they could allow this law based on the idea that under Roe and then Casey, some restrictions on abortion rights are OK, as long as they're not an undue burden on the right to choose. And so that's a little vague. You know, what's an undue burden? That's right. option two. Option three, they could just overturn Roe and they could say, you know, it's wrong. The privacy right is not in the Constitution. It's up to the states to ban abortion or not. Yeah. And the fourth and final option Uh, They could declare abortion to be murder. It's banned in all cases, maybe except from incest, health of the mother, rape, who knows. So those are the options. And I I continue to be optimistic that in addition to the three liberals and Chief Justice John Roberts, at least one of the other five, probably either Gorsuch or Kavanaugh, will join the liberals and say, no, we're not going to have it on our headstone that we destroyed the Roe versus Wade doctrine. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, I, I, I hope that you're right. I, I fear that it will be too easy for them to choose option three of the four you just laid out, the kick it back, back to the states piecemeal option, uh, which will, they think, placate the liberals who will say to themselves, well, at least abortions uh legal in my state. So, you know, my daughter can get an abortion while, of course, the people who are at mo- at the highest risk and the least able to procure uh, health care, women's health care generally continue to be unable to get the abortions to die in, in mass numbers and uh, and in the, the red states. And that's that's a tragedy on itself. So we were going to talk about Paul Newman and Sally Field. <laughs> They were the stars of the movie Absence of Malice, which was all about a big legal issue in terms of libel. And we'll talk about that next week. But uh, we do have time for America's favorite game show, Connor. Guess the verdict where Connor tries to guess the outcome of a legal dispute. So this one has to do with killer genes. Are Uh you ready for the question? Yes. All right. George Diesel of Albuquerque, New Mexico, cool, was minding his own business, putting on a new pair of jeans, probably dad jeans, (laughs) when it happened. 
he found a rivet in one of the fly buttons was not completely fused, with a result that a piece of metal protruded where it oh, really no, shouldn't no, protrude, no, 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 causing no. a severe laceration to no. a part of your anatomy that you do not want severely no. lacerated. George Diesel filed a lawsuit for personal injury, and his, his wife joined the suit, seeking damages for loss of her husband's companionship. Yeah. So, Connor, um, you're uh, wondering, how did this turn out? Can you guess the verdict? Who, who won when he sued the, the poor James? I'm putting folks? myself in, in, the, uh, in the jury box on this one and saying, on the one hand, guy, maybe you should try wearing some underwear. On the other <laughs> hand, you know, these things George happen. Commando Diesel yeah, is his nickname. You got you to gotta, uh, you gotta trust. You got to place a lot of trust. Living in our society, you got to place a lot of trust in these mega corporations that run our lives. You know, the Amazons that deliver our packages and Levi make our- Strauss. Runs our lives. Yeah, Levi Strauss that runs our lives. You got to place your trust and your manhood in their hands. And if they betray that trust, uh, how how many zeros can I, before I run out of ink in this pen, sir, let's go. Uh, this guy gets a, a big fat check. I'm going to say he gets uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, you do win uh, this week, Connor, because you, the, the guess was uh, who won uh, or lost. Uh, I'm not requiring that you come to the exact number, but he won $500. What? Yeah, $500. No! Yeah. So for you, a slice? Your expectation was somewhat exaggerated. Oh, God. <laughs> he he probably, you know, was able to go They must to have doctor cheap doctors and, down there. Could be. In Texas. Oh, my <laughs> it was, God. It was actually Albuquerque. Oh, my God. Kind of a Breaking Bad kind of thing. Yeah. All right. We've done it. Next week, uh, the uh, Guess Your Verdict topic has to do with Far too many adult magazines. That's all I'll tell you. Far too many adult magazines. We'll see you next week on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week.